Big Bertha, it's an iconic name. Some of the longest and straightest clubs in all of golf. Well, now the legend just got even easier to hit. The new Big Bertha irons from Callaway are powered by a suspended energy core, a totally new construction to deliver easy launch, long, consistent distance with an incredible sound and feel. This is by far Callaway's easiest to launch distance iron ever. Get big time distance now. Experience Big Bertha irons today at your local golf shop or at CallawayGolf.com. Welcome to the Off the Post podcast, Post Media's hockey, National Hockey Podcast, joined by National Hockey writer Mike Trakos. Uh, Mike, it's been a few days now. Uh, have the flags gone back to full mast in, in Toronto or not over the Leafs? <laughs> or is he still up there for the Raptors? Yeah, you know, like, uh, thank God for the Raptors because this would be uh, um, a worse sports city um, if it was you know, Leafs out and Raptors out in the first round. Um, I, I think a lot of people are still sort of in shock um, based on how the Leafs are uh, gone from that first round, especially when you look at, you know, there was an opportunity there for the Toronto Maple Leafs as well as a lot of teams uh, with Tampa Bay uh, out, Calgary out, obviously Winnipeg, Nashville, Vegas, like um, Washington. There's basically all the heavy hitters went out in the first round. So I, I think that's what probably hurts most uh, if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan is the fact that, yeah, you lost to the Bruins. Yeah, you lost to them again in a game seven, but you also lost out on a crazy opportunity uh, to go deep, if not win a Stanley Cup this year. And I don't know if that opportunity is going to be there again next year. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly even if it was from when we talked about at the start of the playoffs or even more of a surprise if you if we had been talking two months ago, if you'd said that, you know, Columbus and Carolina might be your Eastern Conference final, that would have seemed absurd. And yet that's kind of what we're staring at right now. And you're, you're, you're right about the Leafs. And I think going into it, you and I had talked um, pretty much all, all year about well, yeah, the Leafs aren't playing up to their potential. There's something missing. And so going into the playoffs, I think people recognized it would be a big ask to get by the Bruins. But then having that series lead and dropping another game seven, I mean, what does that franchise have to do to get over the hump? Yeah, and you know what? There's questions obviously being asked uh, immediately after they went out, whether Mike Babcock is the right coach for this team. And, you know, they're, they're justifiable questions, um, questions about the defense and what does this team need to do in terms of getting maybe bigger, stronger, uh, a little bit meaner, and uh, especially on the back end. Uh, and like I said, they're, they're the kind of questions that you should be asking because how do you avoid this again next year when – you're going to be in the same division as Boston, and it doesn't look like they're going anywhere. And um, if you thought, thought Tampa Bay was a dangerous team this year, well, they're going to be extra motivated going into next year's playoffs, trying not to uh, fall flat on their face again in the first round. So Toronto, you know, as good of an offseason as they had last year in getting John Tavares and getting a lot of their young guys signed up, yeah, this summer might be even more important um, in the sense that, you know, they can't go at it with the same sort of group and expect a different result. So I'm really curious to see what a team that's really up against the cap does. And um, I, I'd be really shocked to see um, the entire coaching staff back. I, I think Mike Babcock remains as the head coach, but don't be surprised if maybe one or two of assist uh, assistants are gone, especially after that team really didn't show much on special teams uh, in the playoffs. 
You know, you say bigger and meaner. Do you expect them to look at getting physical defensemen? Is that the area of focus in the in the offseason? And you're absolutely right, being up against the cap. But there is a lot of elite and skill there. But where where do you think this team has some room to make a move or moves? Yeah, I think they're going to have to get creative. And like, it's easy for me to say, yeah, they need a better defenseman. They need a top two, if not a top four defenseman. Um, but how do you get that guy when you're right up against the cap? So, you know, they're going to have to get creative in the sense that don't be surprised if a guy like Nazem Kadri, who was suspended for the first round of the playoffs after a really boneheaded decision in game two, uh, gets moved just because he's got a, a real favorable contract. And if not Kadri, look at maybe one of Kasperi Kapanen or Andreas Janssen um, to get parlayed because both those guys need new contract. And, um, maybe you package them with a guy whose contract is acting as an anchor, uh, like a Nikita Zaitsev. Um, so they, they got to have to find right ways to kind of remove some contracts so that they can go out and get a guy either via trade or free agency. But, um, you know, number one on their wish list right now is just making sure that they get Mitch Marner signed up. And after that, they're going to have to sort of tinker. Uh, I think the core that they have right now with Tavares, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Riley uh, as well as Frederick Anderson and that. Uh, that's a solid core, and that's a core that you can kind of build from. Um, but it's more of that tinkering around the edges that the Toronto Maple Leafs are probably going to look to do in the offseason. You know, sometimes I, I, I get frustrated by hockey cliches and, and things like you need to learn how to win. Um, but honestly, Mike, I, I look at that core and I look and, and I see the, you know, in those, obviously you're talking about game sevens as well, how, the job doesn't get done, and there's just something about the Bruins. I know they only have the one Stanley Cup in 2011, but it's like in these Game 7 situations, they have guys who have been through it, and Chara and that Weasley rat Marchand that we'll talk about later. <laughs> um, but, you know, they they kind of have, Bergeron, they have these guys who, when you're in a must-win game, they, they find a way to get it done most of the time, and like, is that something Toronto needs? Do they need? I mean, I know they brought Marlowe in, but he doesn't exactly have a, a fistful of Stanley Cup rings. Like, does the team need more leadership, more experience? It's a good question because obviously Columbus, like uh, none of those guys have learned how to win. Um, and Tortorella mentioned that. He said, I don't know if there's a, an advantage in having experience or if being sort of naive um, is its own sort of advantage. And, you know, the Blue Jackets, this is their sort of first time. Um, obviously, in the second round, uh, Carolina Hurricanes, aside from really Justin Williams, that's not a team with uh, bountiful experience. And same thing with, I guess, the Colorado Avalanche. It's not like they've been uh, deep in the playoffs before. So I'm, I'm hesitant to say um, and sort of agree that, yeah, you do need experience. But at the same time, like after the Leafs blew that game six um, at home, you could sense that, you know, it almost seemed like Chicken Little was calling for another Game 7 uh, loss. And you saw that game. Like, Gardner makes a, a tremendous error behind his own net. Uh, Travis Dermott gives up the puck for another goal. Uh, there were mistakes made that the Leafs just didn't make uh, throughout that series. And they were all cropping up in Game 7 where it just seemed like they just weren't built for it mentally. Uh, so something has to change. Uh, as for Marlowe, you know, yeah, he's got experience. He hasn't won a cup, but he's definitely a veteran in the league. At the same time, I think the Leafs would have rather had someone with younger legs who could actually contribute uh, rather than be that sage old guy on the bench because 
what Marlowe was providing wasn't anything aside from just that sort of quote-unquote experience factor. So, um, yeah, you, if you're a Leaf fan, you hope that the team learns from this. Um, it took the Washington Capitals a number of years before they finally won a Stanley Cup, and maybe it's just a matter of time before Toronto um, is able to kind of learn from their things as well. Yeah, sometimes I think those teams that you talked about, I mean, certainly uh, Carolina, um, in a game seven, didn't have the expectation on them from their market. And I think that sometimes that market, they, we talk about this and I wanted to talk about the other Canadian teams now, like the weight of expectation does perhaps get to you more than than we give it credit for from cities like Toronto. But similar things in, in Winnipeg and Calgary, uh, Mike, we talk about broadcast numbers and whether people do want to see another Canadian team win or they don't, uh, all those things. But it I don't think anyone would have seen all three Canadian teams. You weren't a believer in Calgary from the beginning, but uh, you did pick Winnipeg, I think, to at least get to the Cup in preseason. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Well, at least go past the first round. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, ha- what happened to those teams? The yeah, same thing that happened to Leafs, think, or? Yeah, well, a little different. Like I think Winnipeg, after going to the conference final uh, last year, I think everyone just naturally expected um, that evolution, that progression was just going to go, okay, you make it to the conference final one year, the next year you should go to a cup final, maybe the year after that you win a cup. It doesn't always work that way. It's not always linear. Sometimes you take a step forward and then you take two steps back and then you take another step forward. Um, with Winnipeg, they had all those pieces together, but just down the stretch, that was a team that was playing its worst hockey at the worst possible time. And you know, looking forward, uh, I wonder if they're not asking the same questions about their coach and um, whether they have the right personnel there. Because, you know, on paper, just like the Leafs, just like the Flames, there's not a lot to kind of um, find a fault with uh, on that Winnipeg Jets roster. Uh, at the same time, just something wasn't right. And I don't know if you saw it as well, but um, whether it was Liney not being able to score down the stretch or Nikolai Ehlers now, um, without, I think, a, play, a postseason goal in like two or three seasons. Like, um, there's something's missing there. And it's unfortunate because you know, I, I thought Winnipeg was definitely going to go far. Um, I thought this was going to be their year out of all the Canadian teams. I thought they had the best chance to win a cup. And they just weren't able to get it done. In Calgary, it's a different scenario. I think you and I, we've talked to this, about this to death that we weren't sure about the goaltending. And while I wouldn't blame their first round loss on Mike Smith or David Riddick, who we didn't really see, um, you got to think that had they had maybe stronger goaltending, um, they would have been able to find an answer for a guy like Nathan McKinnon and the rest of that Avs team. I can't think of a year when you had so many heavyweights fall out of the way. And that's where, as you said, you know, with those guys all gone, there's a tremendous opportunity for the teams that are left. But when I, when I look at Calgary, I wonder if they're a team that's built for the playoffs. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I know just anecdotally, like, Goudreau had a terrible playoffs from a point standpoint. Like, a guy who was really knocking on the door of 100 points this season to go five games without a goal and just one assist obviously is not meeting expectations and not being the player that he was in the regular season. And Mitch Marner was much the same. Um, smaller size guy, games one and two might have been Toronto's best player, but then after that wasn't able to produce anything offensively. And um, I wonder as, like, as much as size and strength is kind of being phased out of the NHL and it's more about speed, quickness, and creativity, um, I, I wonder if that just plays well in the regular season. And right down to the playoff time, um, I wonder if it's guys who have a little bit more uh, 
um, or play with more of an edge and play more of a, a strength game. Uh, I wonder if those are the guys that are finding success because, you know, you look at that Calgary lineup and, well, A, they could have used James Neal. Um, the fact that he was a healthy scratch is going to really kind of uh, tells a story about that kind of signing. But um, I wonder if they could have just used a little bit more heft in their lineup, especially uh, up front. All right. Well, that's great stuff. Mike, we'll be back in the second period to talk about the second round. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10.3, Canada's News Covered. All right, welcome back to Off the Post. Uh, Mike, we're well into the second round here. Um, still a lot of things to be decided. Uh, are you surprised a little bit? We've t- we talked about the upsets in the first round per se, and you know, here were the Bruins took out the Leafs. Uh, they're down in their series, although it's close. Um, it, there's some suggestion, I'm not sure I agree, although I haven't watched 100% of it, that the Islanders are hard done by to be down uh, two games to uh, to Carolina. But in particular in the East, I mean, there's no there's no way to cut it. You would be stunned if you thought that those were the two teams in the Eastern Conference Finals. What's happening here? Like a team like Boston, you would think you would have would have built some some momentum, and the Islanders building momentum with they they took out the Penguins easily. Like, what is it about these two stories in Columbus and Carolina where they were like decent regular season stories, but no one had these guys going to the Cup? No, don't even ask. Me to like kind of figure this out, Paul. <laughs> like this is just this is beyond ridiculousness. And uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any trend. I don't think we can learn anything. I don't think anyone's going to say, you know what, Carolina was one of the cheapest teams during the regular season. They didn't spend anything, so you know what, that's what we're going to do next year. We're going to say goodbye to all our star players and just um, sign up fourth liners and hope that they uh, can kind of catch lightning in a bottle. Like no one could have predicted this, and then. This isn't sort of like the Vegas effect where you're saying, okay, this is a team coming together. I think this is just one of those one in a million chances of something that would never happen again. Um, I, I'm still shocked at the fact that you know Carolina was able to upset Washington, that the Islanders were able to beat Pittsburgh, uh, that Columbus was able to beat Tampa Bay. Like, um, I think <laughs> had, this, had you uh, rolled the dice again and these teams had to play over again, I think we would have seen a completely different result. Something magical, mystical was happening in the playoffs this year that I really can't put my finger on. And like you said, the fact that we could have Carolina against Columbus in an Eastern Conference final and, you know, Colorado against uh, St. Louis on the other side is just mind boggling to me. Um, These are not (laughs) teams that anyone would have picked. Well, especially halfway through the season, Mike. Let's, I, I, I mentioned this to Ed Willis the other day. Like we, we, we latch on to these hockey cliches, as I was saying earlier, that you know this, the, one of the more recent ones that's come along is, oh, by American Thanksgiving, we know what teams are. We know who the contenders are. Well, at American Thanksgiving, even at Christmas, your odds on getting Columbus, uh, Carolina, St. Louis, and Colorado in the conference finals would have they would have made you Bill Gates if you put down twenty bucks. It's insane <laughs> how 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 these teams have come on to the playoffs. So that's another thing that when we think we know what they are, I think it it, it this these playoffs, whether it's a trend or not, just devalues the regular season. 
Yeah, you know what, and I wonder if this is a good look for the NHL or not, because, like you said, what is the benefit of winning the President's uh, Trophy um, like Tampa did and just being such a dynamo in the regular season if you're going to go out in the first round to the um, like the eighth seed team? Um, I wonder if we have to go to a scenario where, you know what, if you're the number one team in the East and if you're the number one team in the West, uh, you get a buy into that second round and maybe we add a, another team from each conference into that playoff bracket, uh, at least to give some sort of motivation because you know, home ice advantage doesn't seem to matter. Being the top seed doesn't seem to matter. Parity is wreaking its ugly head like never before in the NHL. And we saw it last year where an expansion team you know, made up of B-list players was able to go to the cup final and win their division. And now we're seeing it this year where you know, the Blues, worst team in the, Eastern, in the Western Conference on January 1st, is now, what, two wins away from going to... Uh, the conference final, uh, you've got Carolina, you've got Columbus, you've got New York Islanders. And none of those teams at the beginning, like you said, were anyone's pick based on stats. And they weren't going to ex- even make the playoffs, never mind go far. But, you know, this is the NHL. Uh, this isn't the NBA where, you know, like basically the difference between winning and losing game is almost down to a coin flip at this point. Yeah, I mean, if you had, uh, I mean, I think San Jose, I mean, they brought in Carlson this year. They've been around a bit. Obviously, they still have Thornton, Burns. But if you had uh, St. Louis, who do have some skill players, uh, versus a Carolina, like where's your star power? I mean, this is the thing. You talk about the NBA. You talk about the NFL. It's It, it never matters to the NFL what size of a market the teams are because it's such a star-driven league. When it was you know, Peyton Manning versus Drew Brees in the Super Bowl, it didn't matter that they were two of the smaller markets in all of America. And yet here you've like, I just, the NHL does have to be shuddering like Columbus. Okay. It's a great story in terms of what the franchise is. At least they've got Panarin. At least they've got, you know, Bobrovsky. There's, there's some skill there. I don't know what you market if you get Carolina in there. I mean, Colorado, if they manage to pull it out, you've got start an, an emerging star, at least in Nathan McKinnon. But I mean, there's, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of talent on these teams, but I, I'm sensing that at least at least out west, the interest has dropped a little in the second round. 100%. Like Carolina's number one, uh, highest paid player is making $6 million. And that just goes to show you um, the lack of stars that they have there. And like they've got, like you mentioned on other teams, they've got some budding stars and a guy like Sebastian Ajo. But a guy like Ajo is not going to push the needle nationally. And I think that's the. That's the concern from the NHL, or has to be at this point, is that you don't have any big markets and you don't have any big-time players. Like, there's no Sid, there's no Ovi, you don't have any of the Canadian teams, you don't have your Chicago, you might have a Boston, um, which is probably what they're kind of hoping for, is maybe a Boston-San Jose final where you've got Joe Thornton going up against his old team trying to win a cup. Um, But if it's Carolina against uh, maybe St. Louis, that's going to be a tough sell when you think that you know, basically, St. Louis's top guy is uh, Russian and Vladimir Tarasenko or Ryan O'Reilly, whose uh, number one com- commodity is playing defensive hockey against uh, a Carolina team. Where, you know, aside from the storm surge, I don't think a lot of people even know uh, who half these guys are. Um, although we are sort of learning about Warren Fogle and uh, the kind of playoff dynamo he's been for that team. So it's going to be a tough sell, and I am kind of curious to see what the numbers are going to look like at the end of. Uh, at the end of the playoffs. Well, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's, it can be a good story when you get 
obviously Colorado have looked fantastic all the way through. Um, and, and it's, I think the playoffs, they do tell stories of new stars, but uh, it's, man, it's always nice to have the big team that you want to beat that you go after. The one thing with Boston is, uh, and people may hate watch that. I know certainly they do in Vancouver and maybe they do in Toronto now is this story with the Red Sox and the Patriots also winning. I mean, that city has had enough parades, thank you. We've all seen that obnoxious little kid who puts his sign up and he's like (laughs) 16 years old and I've been to 12 parades or whatever the hell it is at this point. But, man, I've had enough Boston winning anything. They can, like, just take a seat for the next 10 years as far as I'm concerned. But they are a team that people can root against as long as they don't bring it home in the end. Yeah, that's a good question as to who the villain is. Because you always want a hero team and a hero player that you're sort of rooting for. But which player you sort of, like you mentioned, hate watching? And the Bruins might check every box in that regard. Um, Certainly for Toronto fans, they're tired of seeing the Bruins. And like you mentioned, with all the success um, with the Patriots and the Sox and the Bruins, uh, that could be a team that everyone sort of is rooting rooting against. So that that can be compelling when you do have a villain. Um, Obviously, WWE has made a, 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 that's what they made success on is the fact that they have heels as well as heroes. So um, it would be kind of curious to see if we can get that. Like I said, I I think the ideal matchup is your San Jose Boston one where you've got Thornton sort of, everyone's kind of pulling for the old man to win a cup before he retires against the Bruin team that, you know, we were just tired of seeing them celebrate. Absolutely. All right, we'll come back and talk about uh, maybe Brad Marchand and the Bruins a little bit and some other stuff uh, that's facing, uh, kicking around the NHL in the in the final period. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10-3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10-3, Canada's News Covered. Welcome back to the third period of Off the Post, Post Media's Hockey Podcast. However, I should say this is more of an epilogue than a third period as technical difficulties have disconnected us from Mike and schedules are what they are. So we're just going to wrap it up here. Uh, Mike will be traveling during the NHL playoffs and he'll be back with more news next week on the playoffs themselves and also on some of the Canadian teams, in particular the Leafs and what might be happening with them in the offseason. I would like to make a notation here of um, the passing of one of our dear colleagues, uh, Jason Botchford, who worked at the Vancouver Sun and Province uh, and also at the Toronto Sun for many years, left last year for The Athletic. Uh, Jason also could have been seen daily on That's Hockey on TSN. Many of you will be familiar with his work. Jason um, passed suddenly. Uh, due to heart failure, we have stories up through the Post Media Network, um, but I would like to note his impact on the business. As a beat writer, we were always trying to figure out how to tell the game story differently because fans these days see every single game on TV, they listen to it on talk radio, and they don't read game stories. Well, Jason had found a way to be innovative, embed GFs, create memes, bring the fans into the conversation, which is something that I think media is going to have to do if it's going to survive. So our thoughts are with Jason Botchford's family, his wife, Kat, and his three young kids. And a reminder to everyone how precious life is. We thank you for listening. If you enjoy Off the Post, please give us a rating through Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Thanks very much, folks. We'll talk to you next week.